This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The Fed's plans to snoop on more of our financial transactions is, at least for now, on hold. The invasive policy would mean the obliteration of a great deal of financial privacy for average Americans and punish those engaged in small-time side hustles. Cato's Nick Anthony and Scott Linsicum talk about how the plan would affect financial services and independent workers. If you compare, uh, broadly speaking, Democrats' rhetoric on tax evasion and this particular policy that we're talking about today uh, from the IRS, they could not be further apart. The, uh, the, the pitch is, look, we have millionaires actively uh, engaging in strategies to avoid paying their quote-unquote fair share, end quote, of taxes. And then you're looking at uh, trying to require federal monitoring of bank accounts or transactions using uh, online services of $600 in a year. And obviously, when you're working with small amounts of cash, maybe that you're making a few thousand bucks. This is not aimed at wealthy people. This is aimed at lower income people who are scrappers, people who are trying to make ends meet and put a little extra cash in their pocket. So, uh, Nick, you and I have talked about this now a number of times, and I re- I remember it striking everyone as uh, perfectly unconscionable that uh, this kind of policy would move forward. But where do we stand now with the IRS monitoring your small cash transactions? Well, you hit the nail on the head there that it's been time and time again folks have been saying or defending this saying that it's going after the billionaires it's going after the the millionaires but like you said $600 doesn't really seem like an effective way to to filter those out and with all the complaints that have happened now the IRS decided just around Christmas, that they would postpone this requirement that businesses would have to report when they have $600 in in income on things like eBay or Etsy or Craigslist or the like. And what's really interesting about this is the complaint that was cited was that people were confused about it. But I think people are... I don't think it's the the tax form, as confusing as that is. I don't think it's that that people are upset about. I think it's the fact that we think we have this privacy in the United States, this, this right to privacy or this protection of our privacy. And yet now we're being surveilled as little as $600. And it really brings up a fundamental question of what's going on. And Scott's done a lot of great work on this. And I think he also shows where... This is kind of coming into play because in his new book, he points out that there's been this huge rise in independent workers, and that is a much clearer target. So, Scott, give me the the, the picture of what it would look like for a guy who cuts, you know, neatly cuts out uh, pages from old magazines, slides them into a frame and says, oh, look at this Ronald Reagan ad where he's uh, smoking Chesterfields and giving away yeah. Chesterfields as Christmas gifts. Uh, you know, what does that look like for them as a you know small-time business enterprise yeah. 
for them to be monitored and presumably monitored for the purpose of taxing them uh, on these small transactions. Right. The, you know, the classic example are these Etsy earners that you mentioned. These are folks that are out there that have a regular job and in their spare time uh, are doing arts and crafts or whatever. And now, um, if you engage in those types of transactions uh, and it exceeds $600 in gross revenue, so forget your expenses. So if you're like a working mom who just buys a bunch of art expenses and then goes and sells some of your art on Etsy, um, regardless of your actual expenses, regardless if you actually make any even income, you're going to be getting tax forms and you're going to be required to um, to uh, file and disclose to the government those those transactions. And so, you know, I think Nick nails the privacy issues, which, of course, are are important. Um, I'm looking at them more from kind of the worker perspective. Right. We have this explosion of independent work. Um, this I show is a great thing for individuals. It increases mobility and autonomy. People can have a side hustle or a full-time gig. Uh, they can pursue their passions in their, you know, in the evenings and and be a gigger and in, in during the day, whatever. Um, and when you increase tax burdens on these folks uh, in these kind of nonsensical ways, well, you're discouraging that type of economic activity and that type of, you know, people, the ability of people to kind of pursue their their uh, their hopes and dreams and all that all that jazz, um, and it and it just makes no sense from a from the perspective of uh, taxation and tax simplification. It actually just makes everything far far more complicated. And I should note, not just more complicated for the giggers and the Etsy moms, right? It's more complicated for all of these third-party websites, Venmo, Etsy, whatever. They don't know how to do this. They went to the government. They're like, I, we, we have millions of people engaging in these transactions. How do we, how do we, we don't, we can't do it. This is a huge burden for us. And then even the IRS, even the IRS was like, yeah, man, we, we can't, we, we don't know how to handle this either. And quite frankly, to be a cynic, I don't think it was the Etsy mom's complaints or the Etsy complaints that really got the government uh, to postpone. It's the IRS complaints, right? When they realized they they just can't handle it. Yeah, well, at the, uh, at the micro level, you think about a Venmo transaction, you think about a cash app transaction, quite possibly what those things are, are paying someone back for something. And uh, in six, yeah. in a year, six hundred dollars is not a not an unreasonable amount of money. Say, hey, rem oh, remember to get me back for lunch. Oh yeah, I'll Venmo you. Okay, and 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 in order to yeah. comply, yeah. presumably if there are tax forms implicated in exceeding this ridiculously low threshold of six hundred dollars, presumably that gives the feds an even greater. Uh, impetus to dig in and learn more. Let's learn a little more yeah, about right. your life in uh, as told by financial transactions. Yeah. And, and not just the feds. You know, one of the things we note in the book chapter is that a lot of states tend to just follow the IRS guidance. So now you have several states that, uh, of course, California, right? And but Maryland, Massachusetts and others um, are have lowered their thresholds to 600 bucks, too. So now you're going to get state tax forms as well. Um, and now maybe you do. Oh, you got to pay sales tax on that couch that you resold that had been, you know, moldering in your basement. Right. And so the the implications of of this threshold, I think, extend even beyond just the feds. I mean, that's bad enough, but it's it's going to get into a lot of other uh, other things. 
So uh, before we started recording, Nick, you said, you know, maybe uh, New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve, the feds will say, we're moving ahead. <laughs> we're moving ahead with this plan to uh, monitor your transactions, which, of course, is a sort of classic move of no one's paying attention. They won't know about this until the new year. And um, it's it's unconscionable. But we also should also try to understand historically at what point or at what threshold has the government required uh, the reporting of these kinds of, of cash trans large cash transactions? That's a really good point. And it's one of the things that caught so much attention with all of this is this particular tax or this particular threshold was set in, I believe, 2008 at $20,000. So even more than what's been known as kind of the uh, baseline 10000 that's so common elsewhere. And yet it's dropped all the way down to 600 And I'd actually say it's worse than that because although it's not that long ago, it, it kind of feels like yesterday that it was 2008, 2009. But if we adjust $20,000 for inflation from then to now, it's it actually should be more like $28,000, so closer to $30,000. And that's kind of a problem we have across all of these thresholds for reporting. They're set at some number that people agreed was high at the time, and then they're quietly uh, increased. The, the scope is expanded over time through inflation, and people just don't realize what happens. So it's not until something as egregious as this happens that catches everyone's attention. But with this, with things like currency transaction reports or suspicious activity reports, all these thresholds, which at one time were considered high, have just slowly been expanding. Yeah. In 2008, though, it wasn't that long ago. Anytime you face a, a, a spate of inflation, uh, the relevant uh, um, amount of goods and services you can buy for $20,000, for $10,000, for $600, it shrinks, and, and so you you end up you end up with the government a, being able to be relatively more invasive without any nominal change in the threshold. Yeah, and I would and I would add totally ignoring the intent of the law, right? You know, I think that you can say there's a legitimate purpose to uh, because I think the other thing, of course, is that there's a transaction threshold as well. You know, it's twenty thousand dollars and two hundred transactions, right? So this was intended to get to target individuals who were very much engaged in the online economy, right? You know, you were gigging all the time. You were selling tons of stuff on Etsy. Yeah, you had your own shop up, that kind of thing, right? And, you know, a legitimate concern about uh, proper taxation of that income, right? But now it's just, what, 600 bucks, one transaction. I mean, that that is a completely different universe of individuals. It is literally a person selling an old couch online. Next thing you know, the feds are involved, right? And and that's uh, that's just that's just crazy town. Um, and I and I would really applaud Nick for noting the inflation thing. It's actually not something we covered in the book, you know. But uh, the fact is, today now you're really looking at someone that would be, you know, almost thirty, making almost thirty grand a year if we had that that original threshold. So, you know, hopefully, uh, reform will 
get back to some semblance of sanity. There have been a ton of proposals thrown around, um, you know, whether it's 10,000 or 20,000 or 28,000, you know, that we, we can, that's what congressional hearings are for, right? Uh, certainly, hopefully, it's not going to be an overnight decision made on Christmas Eve. Um, but the reality is right now that this, the current threshold is is just absurd and and obscene. Uh, one other thing that, and that, it's it's a parallel, but it's not a very neat parallel, which is real ID. That is, we, the the feds passed real ID. Some states adopted it. Some states didn't. Um, and the the requirement that you have a real ID in order to fly on an airplane, which is to say, execute a contract between you and an airline, uh, the 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 feds have been pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. And because states and individuals have chosen not to comply, the feds have not felt comfortable doing it. And the businesses that uh, that the IRS would like to uh, compel information from, you know, that they have a lot of capital tied up in running their online business. Sometimes there are government agencies that provide them with the privilege of providing these services to people. And my sense is the a lack of compliance uh, is probably a non-starter when it comes to these businesses reporting that data when told by the feds. Yeah, for sure. And and that, again, goes back to uh, in early December, you really started hearing the howls from the uh, the Etsy's and the you know Venmo's of the world just basically saying this is impossible. You know, what you have set up is um, is so administratively burdensome for us that it's going to, you know, harm uh, our not just our bottom line, but our ability to provide a, you know, other services to individuals. And then, of course, that gets into the question, are you going to start having companies assuming they are ever? are ever subject to these things? Are they going to start discriminating against small-time giggers and others because they don't want that hassle? And that's a terrible thing for the labor market and for the economy. You know, this is a, uh, like I said, a vibrant part of our economy, independent work. Side hustles are great for millions and millions of Americans. Um, and, and we don't want to create some arbitrary financial burden, some arbitrary tax form that effectively blocks them from participating in this part of the economy. Um, not just for national GDP reasons or whatever, but just for their own personal enjoyment uh, and and fulfillment. Well, you know, related to that, the, there's the flip side, which is the benefit of the people who are buying this stuff, right? I mean, for sure. I mean, you're getting a lot of uh, in in many people's homes or many people's businesses a lot of otherwise dead capital uh, pr products that would otherwise just sit there until they find that one guy yeah, I who mean, really wants that old McDonald's ashtray. We need to contact the Sierra Club immediately about the environmental implications of preventing people from selling their old sofas. Um, you know, we don't want the landfills to be filled and stuff. So, you know, yes, we uh, will definitely have to get on that. Nick Anthony is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute, where Scott Lincecum directs general economics. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.